Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, hey, where you been? Buckeye talk is about to begin. Hey, 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 come on in. Welcome back to Buckeye Talk. It is part two ultimate Ohio State draft. If you have not listened to part one, stop and go back and do that. Doug Maurice, Nathan Baird, Stephen Means. We are taking the 91st round picks in Ohio State history and making a first round out of them. 32 first rounders. We drafted 16 players yesterday, and we did that in this order. Orlando Pace, Chase Young, Justin Fields, Joey Bosa, Nick Bosa, Denzel Ward. See, if you're, I'm, go back and listen. I'm ruining the whole draft if you haven't listened to it. Seriously, <laughs> stop. If you're like, oh, I'll have a Ohio State draft. This I'm ruining it. Stop. Denzel Ward, six. John Hicks, seven. Dan Wilkinson, Corey Stringer. Sean Springs, CJ Stroud, Ezekiel Elliott. Jim Parker, Jeff Okuda, Tom Kuzno, Jack Tatum. Those are the first 16. We just can't do a four-hour pod, although we could. So we cut it in half. Oh. And we are now ready to begin. Oh, we could do, is that a challenge? No, I just want what? that on. Someone that is on the record now. Podcast? No, he said we can't do a four-hour podcast. He said it. We're going to get it. Bron- We're going to get like Striking a plaque it. made. Strike it from the record. <laughs> no. Strike I it. Do, part of uh, me does want to 24-hour podcast a, marathon still on the docket yeah, eventually. I don't even – I wouldn't say that. I do wonder how long we could actually go. If – if we just if you just picked out a bunch of rapid fire, how many could we actually go before somebody's just like, can we wrap this up, please? I just want to go live my Who life. Who would be the somebody though? Like a listener or one of the podcasters? I think Nathan would be the first to be like and it'd probably be about three forty five and he you start to see it in his face. And then maybe about thirty minutes later he's just like, I just don't want to be here anymore. <laughs> Nathan gets that look sometimes 17 minutes into a podcast. So, yeah. yeah. (laughs) Four hours. Trying to give you some benefit of the doubt there, okay? (laughs) I can remember the first podcast meeting we ever had as a sports staff at Cleveland.com. And we were sort of talking about it because there were some other people in Cleveland who were doing sports podcasts and Cleveland.com wasn't doing them. And I was one of the people, Landis was one of the people, we were like, we got to be doing these. And somebody was like, like, what do we do? Like, how do you do this? What would we do? And I said, I could do three hours tomorrow. And like, so my, yeah. and I'm not saying it'd be good, 
but I'm saying I can do it. So I don't know that I would ever stop. I don't know that I would ever stop. So if it could be a solo podcast, it could go for 24 hours. So go back and listen, go back, go back, go back, go back, go back. Cause this won't make sense if you don't listen to part one. And I do think part one was fun. We are going to pick up with pick number 17. We have the, the remaining uh, 74 players on the board. Still again, Ohio state's 91st round picks is the most in college football history. They lead in that, which is kind of why we're doing this. Man, there's so many options that we are thinking as modern NFL GMs. So without further ado, I had the first pick in the draft, but we, you know, one, two, three, one, two, three. I made the 16th pick of Jack Tatum. Nathan, this is one of those, right? It's like the start of the second round in the NFL draft overnight. People think about things. It's always like, oh, is there a player that somebody really wants that people are trying to trade up for? Was there somebody that when we got to the end of the 16, like as you thought about this, that you were like, oh, I know exactly who the 17th pick is going to be. I almost think I can't believe this guy's still on the board. You know, it's it's the next guy on my list. And I, I just I did jostle my list a little bit right before we recorded yesterday. And it was right around this juncture of the draft. And uh, this is a guy um, that I thought might be gone by now. I mean, we're we're it's so. To begin to, to familiarize people, if, if you don't want to go back and listen to the first episode, which I highly recommend, or if you did and you just forgot, we're basically drafting from the modern NFL perspective, and we're drafting based on how these players were perceived at the time they left Ohio State. So not drafting the way that they were drafted, not thinking the way that they were drafted in 1972 or 1993, but also uh, not taking into account how they actually end up doing in the NFL. It's more about what the prospect they were. So we're halfway through the first round, and I think if it were the modern NFL, it would be very unusual that no receiver has come off the board in the first half of the NFL draft, especially when you consider that Ohio State has been cranking out receivers year after year, um, first-round receivers now for the last couple of years. And you can even go back into the 90s and find first-round receivers that this program was putting out, guys who went on to have long NFL careers. But if I'm basing this on the current thinking, which of these guys, the, the, the past first-round picks in, in Ohio State history, is the best top-to-bottom NFL draft prospect? That's what I'm going to take here. So with the 17th pick of the Ohio State all-time draft, Nathan Baird selects Garrett Wilson, wide receiver. Why do y'all hate me so much? I, I agree with this pick wholeheartedly. I, this is actually where I was going to go with my pick for a lot of that same reason. And I actually have some research here. Ohio State's only had two receivers be wide receiver one in their draft class, and they were both in years where wide receivers didn't come off the board until late. And it was San Antonio Holmes in 2006, and it's Jackson Smith the Jigba this year. And both of those guys went in the 20s. So it's when you look, it's like, I think when you think about perception, the first thing you go to, okay, who was just the first guy taken off the board as, as a position? But that only works typically when that position goes in the top 10 because there's an abundance of them. There wasn't really a high-end wide receiver classes in either one of those classes. So now you go to classes where maybe a guy was a top 10 pick, but he was wide receiver two because wide receiver one went eight and above. And you've got guys like Joey Galloway. You've got Ted Ginn Jr. You've got Garrett Wilson in those situations. And now you start to go with how were they perceived? Ted Ginn Jr., Joey Galloway, those guys were never going to be wide receiver one in their respective years just because of who they were in the classes with. Garrett Wilson was probably perceived as wide receiver one by at least 50% of teams, and then there were teams who thought Drake London was wide receiver one, like the Atlanta Falcons. 
when it's receivers, Steven is like, I dove face first into piles of research. <laughs> like, he's like, hey, did you, how's your tackle research? Steve was like, I just, I reached into a grab bag and read a name off of, of a slip of paper that I pulled out. But receiver research, because I did that same research. It is interesting. Because I thought, yeah. oh, wait. Maybe they haven't had a receiver one because their guys in the top 10 were not receiver one. And as you said, Stephen, it's kind of weird how it worked out. So this is going to allow us to have a very interesting Ohio State receiver discussion when it comes to draft prospects. During the course of the last two years, we have had a lot of discussions on here. Like the Jackson Smith and Jigba is like the next evolution. Everybody at Ohio State says, oh, he's the best one. He's the best one. Nathan, do you think Jackson Smith and Jigba healthy would have been a better NFL draft prospect than Garrett Wilson. Because I, we sometimes, and by we, I mean, Steven, we think a receiver's good. And then as soon as the next receiver's here, we're like, nope, it's that receiver. And then it was like, nope, it's that receiver. Nope, it's that receiver. Why? Now we know the results. Garrett went higher than Jackson Smith and Jigba. Is that, do you think in the end that was primarily an injury concern? Nathan with Jackson, I mean, basically didn't play his last year. Nope. And in your mind, is there any consideration of like, oh, no, I think Jackson Smith and Jigba might be the best draft prospect at receiver in Ohio State history? I really don't know how much the injury was still an issue by draft day, uh, for, because much in the same way as with Nick Bosa uh, several years before that, they'd had time to prove their health. And, and Smith and Jigba had proved his health. I mean, he had a great combine. He was good at Ohio State's pro day. He didn't run like special numbers, but he showed he ran a healthy number. And he obviously all of his route running, he was able to go out and go through the full complement of, of pressures and stresses and all the things that they put him through and came out fine. So I think he had answered the health issues primarily by draft day. I think there are still issues about, uh, again, if you're comparing him head to head with Garrett Wilson, guys who... Um, made their name, their initial name in the slot, and then changed things up a little bit. And Jackson Smith and Jigba never got that chance. He, I think he is still seen as primarily a slot weapon going into the NFL, whereas I think Garrett Wilson was just seen as a better all-around talent. And it, it, that, I think, is reflected in why he went so much higher than Smith and Jigba did in his class. And again, we have to we slice it thin. Draft prospect is not the same thing as productive college receiver, not, you know, better, best receiver in the Ohio State offense, best receiver for what Ohio State wants to do and how they want to attack people. And then best is viewed by the NFL. I do think Garrett's a little more dynamic, versatile, you know, like just a little bit of everything. So to be clear, you guys are firmly, Steven, firmly on the idea of Garrett Wilson to this point is the best receiver draft prospect in Ohio State history. Yeah, and I think the difference between him and some of the other guys on this list is the complete package that he was. Like I think Jackson is should be considered, but he's not a burner. He's not a fr- like Garrett lit it up at the combine with that that time. And then he, like he's a guy, he's a number 1 X receiver in the NFL. I don't know if Jackson Smith the Jigba is that. And he might prove me wrong because I don't, you don't have to be a burner to be a, a dominant X receiver, just like you don't have to be Marvin Harrison Jr. to be an X receiver. But the prospect part of what's the difference between Garrett Wilson and Jackson Smith the Jigba is where Garrett would have won out, which is why Jackson in his draft teams waited to the 20s. 
while teams kind of jumped at Garrett in the top 10. Which is why I don't think I ever agreed with the idea of like, oh, everybody with Ohio State says Jackson's better than Chris and Garrett. It's like, I don't, I don't think I ever thought that was true. I don't know that I ever thought Jackson Smith and Jigba was better than mm-hmm. Garrett Wilson. Like, whatever better means. And I guess better means who would you take? I would always take Garrett Wilson. So that's not what Ohio State says. I don't think it's what we've always said here, but also this is not who I would have picked. So this is a difficult thing in Ohio State history. The first receiver taken in the first round, a pure receiver, is Joey Galloway in 1995. And there are three Cooper receivers that are just, they're not forgotten, but you it, it, it's not right now. Like so much of what Ohio State receivers are feels of right now. And it makes it, this isn't like going back into the 60s, but it from a passing standpoint, it almost feels like it is. So you have to think about Joey Galloway, the eighth pick in 1995, Terry Glenn, the seventh pick in 1996, and David Boston, the eighth pick in 1999. You have to think about it. You have to at least think about them. And I went back in the Wayback Machine, and I was watching highlights, and I was reading stuff, and I did come to this shorthand. To me, Joey Galloway is Terry McLaurin. Like mm-hmm. more speed, a little smaller, but like like fast as all get out. I thought Terry Glenn was almost like a really good combination of Garrett Wilson and Chris Olave because I thought he had some of the after the catch stuff of Garrett, but was a deep threat like Chris Olave. And then I thought David Boston looked like what if Terrell Pryor had played receiver at Ohio State. And I think David Boston is the best NFL receiver prospect in Ohio State history. And maybe it's just the 90s shoulder pads. But if you go back and watch a David Boston highlight reel like I did, he is a monster. He catches deep balls. He catches short balls and is an after-the-catch maniac. He catches balls in traffic. He returns kicks and punts. He looks like he will either run past you or run over you, and it doesn't really matter to him. He is ridiculous. And in terms of being a number one guy in his draft, Torrey Holt was the number one receiver picked in his draft. And whatever happened to Torrey Holt, I don't even know what happened to that guy. Greatest show on turf. He's a maniac. He was an NFL superstar. So Torrey Holt was great. Going into that draft, there was a debate. Is David Boston the number one receiver? I think when you read stuff afterward, some people said David Boston should have been the number one receiver. It is a rare package of skills. He's like 6'2". 6'2", like 215, like just really big and physical and fast. Now, he was good in the league. He also had off-field things in the league that kind of derailed him from reaching his maximum potential as an NFL player, Nathan. But I think when you lump a lot of the guys together, and I'll do my David Boston spiel now because like I'm going to take him at some point in this no, draft. Not. No, but, not. <laughs> oh, so Oh, good. I feel good about that. But like yeah. when I was thinking about, like I just thought from a raw – physical specimen standpoint because Garrett's like Garrett's not gigantic. Garrett has a catch radius. Garrett plays bigger than he is. David Boston is bigger. Mm-hmm. So I had, when I made my list for this, these, the second half of the draft, I had three receivers. I had like a night. There's 16 picks we're going to make. I had 19 guys on my list and I had three receivers and Garrett Wilson was one of them. So I don't, I'm not saying like, I vehemently disagree with this pick. Garrett Wilson, to me, is the second or third best receiver draft prospect in Ohio State history. I just thought David Boston was the unique guy. 
with all the combination of skills. And man, oh man, was he productive in his final season at Ohio State. So I'm not saying you're wrong, but I think it's a really fun receiver discussion. And it is very difficult to compare guys from the mid-90s to guys from the 2020s. It just is. And yeah, and Boston was the second highest receiver on my list. And I I thought about it. Um, I think, and and ultimately, if you were to make the comparison head-to-head with Wilson, you could say, well, the Drake London being maybe the more Boston of the two, like you could say that, that the NFL did mm-hmm. prefer the more David Boston player over Garrett Wilson. But th- it's tough to say that the Falcons pick at seven speaks for the whole NFL. And I agree with what Steven was saying before, that I think there was mm-hmm. a, a a duality of thought there and probably more than the duality. There's probably teams that had Chris Olave number one on their board. I think it's that was just what the the preference of those small – the teams in that small window decided. I, I think you could make a strong argument that while all those things are true about uh, Boston and London from a physical standpoint, that the rece- the the more finished all-around receiver product was Garrett Wilson. Yeah, you know what this entire discussion felt like? When everybody already knows who the team is going to pick, so they just have like the whole discussion of what he is as a prospect before Roger Goodell comes out. Okay. Yeah. So uh, Raj has yielded the stage to you, yeah. Stephen Means, for pick 18. Please don't sue us for like, for me humming that. The mighty, <laughs> uh, and with the sixth round pick, what, what pick is this? Is this pick eight, uh, 19? 18. 18. 18. With the 18th pick in the Buckeye Talk, Ohio State Ultimate Draft, the mighty Means select David Boston. From the 1999 NFL draft. And y'all basically just took my notes. You broke into my house, took my notes, came home, and just read down the entire notes. I was going to use that exact Drake London, Garrett Wilson comparison for what Torrey Holt and David Boston were in 1999, where it did kind of feel like preference. You know, and sometimes when there's two guys who are fighting over the top spot and it's not quarterback, sometimes it can just be preference on what you like and what's the best fit for what you're trying to do offensively or defensively. And that's what it felt like, you know, the Rams did when they took Torrey Holt two picks before the Cardinals took David Boston. Obviously, it didn't work out. But of the guys in the 90s, when you're trying to place him in this room, just physically, especially this 2023 room and the 2022 room because of what the physical makeup is. Take Marv out of it because Marv's an alien. He's not actually from this planet. David Boston's the only one where I looked at those three and felt like he could be wide receiver one in this room right now. Just physically what he is and what that talent level is and how they would use him. You can move him all around and do a lot of that stuff that they're going to do with Marvin. Now, maybe it's not to the maximum that you can do with Marv because Marv's a little bit different. But I could see them doing a lot of the stuff that they might do with Marv this year with David Boston had he been had he grown up now instead of in the 90s. It's not like David Boston bombed in the NFL. He had no. some things off the field. His third season in yeah. the NFL – He had 175 targets, 98 catches, and he led the league with 1,598 receiving yards. Mm -hmm. So you saw like what it could be. It just didn't happen for a decade. He had two 1,000-yard seasons in the NFL, but you saw it. And just to recap again, this idea of where guys went in the draft, as Steven said, Santonio Holmes and Jackson Smith and Jigba were the first receivers in their draft. Joey Galloway in his draft was the second guy. Michael Westbrook from Colorado went first. 
Terry Glenn was the second guy. Keyshawn Johnson from USC was the overall number one pick that that year. David Boston went second in, among the receivers behind Torrey Holt. And then Ted Ginn Jr. was a second receiver because guess who was the first receiver? Calvin Johnson. So we aren't quite there, right? That Just like we said with the quarterbacks, Nathan, Ohio State has not yet produced the perfect quarterback draft prospect. The C.J. Stroud just went second, so like they're getting there. I don't know that Ohio State has produced the perfect receiver draft prospect yet because you, you would say, well, do they have a Larry Fitzgerald? Do they have a Calvin Johnson? And they do. He just hasn't been in the draft yet. Do mm-hmm. you think we had this discussion in the first pod, Nathan, like where Marvin Harrison Jr. would fit in? If he does what we think, would Marvin Harrison Jr. at the very least be the first receiver off the board in a draft like this if we were doing this next year instead of now? I, I think so, because I think you'll be talking about, again, um, the way that he'll be talked about going into this next year. I mean, it's already started to happen, you know, the way Joel Klatt has talked about him. Like, it's 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 one thing if you are considered the best the best guy at your position in any given draft or as we're talking about with London and Wilson, the one perceived by enough, some portion of teams to be that. But when people start talking about you as like, oh, this might be the best receiver who's been in the draft since X number of years and tracing it back five, six, eight years, whatever it will be at that point, then you're just talking about a, a different kind of prospect. And the fact that he may not, as we did on the, the a previous pod, maybe it doesn't even go in the top two, three picks just because quarterbacks are so valued or edge rushers or whatever. But that means there's going to be a team that's like ecstatic to get him at number four or whatever, because um, talents like that just don't come along very often. That's the trajectory he's on. Yes, I would say. I think he would have been taken in the first 16 picks. Yeah, I agree with that. And I think there's the receiver discussion when it comes to something like this. It's, it's, we're in the middle of it. I think that's the difference between this and maybe what Larry Johnson was doing is that you don't feel like you're in the middle of it as much unless JT does something stupid this year. You feel like you're on the other side of it so you can have a full discussion about it. Marvin, for right now, yes, he would clearly be number one of these wide receivers. But in eight years, he might not be just because of what Ohio State has coming down the pipeline. Is they have Marvin Harrison Juniors? Yeah, here it is. Times here it is. Two. Here it is. I know. Here it I is. Know, I know. I know. He's not even I'm, gone. He's I not. Know. He hasn't even played. And you're like, I well, know. I mean, like, wait till Brandon Ennis gets here, and wait till you see Jeremiah Smith. <laughs> I love oh how you God. know where I'm going. I just uh, Jeremiah Smith, and then there's a kid by the name of Chris Henry Jr. who lives in Cincinnati, who's a 2026 wide receiver who got in, who forced Brian Hartline to offer him as an eighth grader last summer. He'll actually be here on Thursday for for a camp again. Those two guys are from the same. They're from the Marvin Harrison tree of the type of builder receiver. These bigger receivers who don't sacrifice any of the stuff that you typically see from six foot receivers. So that's why I'm not saying they will be better. I'm not saying they won't be better. I just think this will be a very interesting conversation about Ohio state's receivers in their first round draft picks eight years from now, when it feels like the run isn't as crazy as it is right now when we're in the eye of the storm. He's set a new standard and it's going to be interesting to see if other people can continue to raise what that standard is. Okay. So we have Garrett Wilson at 17 and David Boston at 18. And when we come back, Come back. I'll make the 19th pick after this on Buckeye Talk. 
Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. All right, pick number 19 in our draft. I did, in the end, have a guy that I was like, okay, this, this, this is the guy. And it's a little bit of a hard evaluation, but I think there's two guys that I have on my list that I think the modern NFL would just figure out. And be like, okay, well, I mean, he's extraordinary and we'll figure out how to use him, but we're going to take him. So with the 19th pick in the ultimate Ohio State draft, Doug Maurice will take Paul Warfield, who was a running back at Ohio State and then turned into a Hall of Fame receiver in the NFL. He was the 11th overall pick in the 1964 draft. And this is just one of those where... It's it's a little hard to wrap your head around Nathan because he was a running back, and then they got him. The Browns got him, and they're like, you know what? I think you're a receiver. They thought about playing him at defensive back. He's just that. He can do whatever you want. So his last year at Ohio State, he's second on the team in rushing with 200 and some yards. He leads the team in receiving with 200 and some yards. He's awesome. He was part of a national championship team at Ohio State. He's just awesome, but. In that era, Nathan, like you're not exactly handing the ball to fullback all the time. They did not maximize Paul Warfield. But then the NFL, first with the Browns, then with Don Shula and the Miami Dolphins, figured out how to maximize Paul Warfield, and he was a Hall of Famer. So I I think, again, it's like, oh, should we draft pro football Hall of Famers high in our draft? Yeah, we should. But there's a little bit of a... Where do you find him? How does he fit in? How would the league right now evaluate him? But you know what he is, honestly? He is like turbo Curtis Samuel. And Curtis Samuel was a real second-round pick in the NFL. And that's like, what do you mean? You're comparing Curtis? But, like, that's what Paul Warfield would have been on the 2016 Ohio State offense. It's Mm -hmm. like, oh, who's your best running back? Paul Warfield. Who's your best receiver? Paul Warfield. What happened? he single-handedly dragged a kind of eh, Ohio State team to the playoff because that's what Curtis Samuel did. So Curtis Samuel's not eligible for this draft because he was a second-round pick. But Paul Warfield's that times 10. So I, I don't think we are too late on him here, Nathan. But once we got done with the first pod of this, I was like, well, Paul Warfield needs to go pretty soon. So I'll take him here at 19. Yeah, I struggled with where to put him on my list and ultimately didn't, but it's not because of a lack of recognition of his talent, but it's more of trying to put yourself in the modern NFL thought. And would they, would he be likely to be taken in the first round or would it be more like a Curtis Samuel thing where teams think that they're getting a great value on him in the second round. But I think you can then also, if you really want to play the, the what if game, a guy like this coming through Ohio state today 
probably has maybe a more defined role of what he's being prepared to do in the NFL. I'm just trying to think of what like what the the recent equivalent has been in terms of like a, a guy who went in the first round that was then sort of shifted around like that. But that's not really what the game is anymore. I think what you're doing here is smart and just kind of it, it just basing it on the the sheer talent ceiling that you would be getting here and finding a way to to put him on the field. It's more of a yeah, basketball was, pick in some ways. It's like positionless basketball. It's more like you're taking a guy. It's the second half of the first round, and it's like, well, he's not a true whatever, but he's going to do great things for your team. Get him on your roster. It's it's a he's a just give him the ball. Let's just figure out ways to get him the ball. And I it, with what I was thinking about him, I thought of Curtis Samuel first. And then I thought of another Samuel. I thought of the way the 49ers can sometimes use Debo Samuel, where he's a wide receiver mm. sometimes, but mm. they also use him in the backfield. I mean, we've used, we've heard Brian Day. I asked him, he compared, yeah, uh, Mecca Buka to that and how they might use a Mecca at times. So I, it, the reason why I had a hard time maybe having him be a day one pick, which is, I'm glad we're doing multiple pods. We can do day one, day two is because I'm not sure how valuable that is to the NFL yet. Because Debo Samuel is such like a unique thing because of who the 49ers play caller is, how their offense is set up, that would Debo Samuel be getting used like that if he played for the Cowboys or he played for the Jets? Like, are the Jets going to do stuff like that with Garrett Wilson? Are teams going to do stuff like that with uh, Mecca Buka when he gets to the NFL? And so, like, Debo Samuel was also a second-round draft pick. So is this a situation where it's like he's like the – 38th pick in the NFL draft and you got really good value for him or does the right team take him at like 22? Well, it's kind of a copycat league. I think the NFL does value players like this and it's probably only a matter of time before instead of waiting for things to fall in the second round, somebody gets aggressive mm-hmm. and says, we're going to go get our Debo Samuel, but we have yeah. to go get him in the first round. And it probably won't work <laughs> because that's just how things tend to play out. But I, I think it's if you're looking into the future, I can totally see why this makes sense at this juncture, because I think you probably will see it in the NFL at some point. And again, like once he got there, like they just made him a receiver and he was just that as a rookie. He had 920 receiving yards, which was fifth in the NFL as a rookie. So like they he was kind of like in between and then they shifted him. And it's just I mean, it's, he's a. He's a Hall of Fame player. So, mm-hmm. again, I think it's interesting to think about this kind of thing. I think you guys are all right with the comparisons you're making. But I think sometimes you just take the talent and then figure it out. So, Paul Warfield is number 19. Nathan, number 20 pick to you. So, we did a draft um, a few months ago where we were drafting the uh, we're drafting teams from the Ryan Day era. We each got to pick also one player from the um, Trestle and Meyer eras. And I was really excited to get this player with the last pick that I had in that draft. Um, and I kind of waited around Sonny and Styles used my pick. Or Bryson Shaw? Is it Sonny Styles or Bryson Shaw? Which one? It's, it's, it was not. I didn't. I, I got not. Sonny Styles early in that draft. Shrewdly. Oh. Uh, this is. A, a, okay. right. And this is a player who, again, is going to exemplify a little bit the difference between prospect and then what they end up doing in the NFL. Because I think he's largely seen as a, a guy who didn't fulfill that promise. But, you know, 13 sacks his last year at Ohio State, then goes off and puts up the best bench press uh, number at the Combine. So where are we at? 20? Am I at 20? Is that what the yes. bonus is? 
So I think by number 20, yes. even if you have questions about how this guy exactly is going to fit in, because I know that when he was drafted, uh, even though he was a defensive end, they were trying to make him an outside linebacker at first. But with the 20th pick in the Ohio State all-time draft, Nathan Barrett will take Vernon Golston defensive end. And I, I just think NFL teams now would see, based on what he had done, what he did at the Combine, what was potentially there as an edge rush threat would be a, a would have been seen as a really great value at 20. He was taking number six in the draft that he was in. Nathan's over there building a defensive line with his draft picks. Well, <laughs> that's we, not if, all if the we same were, team. I know. I, I, if we were actually building a team here, <laughs> Nathan's actually got a full-fledged defensive line here with Chase Nick and Dan Wilkinson and Vernon Golston now. Well, I don't care how good your defensive front is. If one of those guys is playing safety, I like your chances to throw against it. It's fair. So I didn't have him in my top 32 because I do think the Jets reached to take him. And Mike Mamula is like the shorthand, right, for like combine monster physical specimen, how great of a football player is he? And and mm-hmm. I wouldn't say that about – that's not fair to say about Vernon Golston because Vernon Golston like destroyed – an entire Ohio State Michigan game all by himself practically. So like he's a good football player. He is not in terms of overall football acumen and just like feel for the game and that kind of thing. He's not Chase Young. He's not the Bosa's. He's not a couple other guys. And so because of that, there are a couple guys just like this was back you know, this is like right at the beginning of my tenure here. And this is still, this is not quite the era where you're at a guy's house necessarily like watching the draft, but it, it still was not quite covered like it is now. Right. And so this is like, you're sitting around on draft day. Like, like take, Hey, like you, you would check with guys at the spring game. Hey, can I call you on drafting and talk to you for five minutes after you get picked and that kind of thing. And so like, you're very much monitoring and it's like, I didn't think Vernon Golson was going six, you know, I don't. So it's not, like specimen Nathan, like he's, I mean, I just made a whole David Boston argument that was like, have you seen the guy wear shoulder pads? And right. there's an, a, a Vernon Goldson argument that is very much that, but also the idea that it didn't really hit in the NFL. I was not shocked by that. There are some guys, again, there are some guys who Ohio state guys, I think are going to be great in the NFL and miss. There are some guys I think are going to have a hard time in the NFL who are great. And there are some guys who get drafted and I'm like, I don't know. And then it, that was right. And so Vernon Golston, again, the stories I always tell about him is like when I wrote a big feature on him is he's, he's a cast tech guy in Detroit and he's like walking the halls in eighth grade and someone thinks he's a substitute teacher. And he's like, no, I'm a student here. And the football coach, like, is the guy, it's the football coach who sees it. And he's like, are you playing football? He's like, no, he's like, you are now. So that's always one of those things, right? So Vernon Golston was an incredibly nice, smart guy. He was too normal. He was a normal person in a football body. So in the end, football body deserves to be picked here. Overall package of are we sure this guy is what we think he is? I, the Jets missed. The Jets got out over their skis on sure. this guy. So I'm not – and I covered him and you guys didn't. So, like, I'm not trying to, like, say, well, that was a ridiculous pick because he went sixth, Nathan. He went sixth in the draft, and you're taking him at 20, and that makes total sense. But, again, I think that six was a reach by the Jets. I do too, but I think that we they still do this every year, not just the Jets, although quite often the Jets, True. but teams across the NFL do this, 
do this every year. Like there's always somebody who is more in terms of physique or um, even like college production that isn't based around the core elements that'll make you great in the NFL. And they, they get overdrafted. And so I, that's kind of even how I'm thinking of this. Like somebody at 20 would be like, well, this is just too long for a guy with 13 sacks and the best bench press at the combine to still be on the board. That makes sense. I think that makes sense. Um, okay. Vernon Golston's number 20. Steven, pick 21 to you. I might be reaching here, but I don't care. I, I think in the, in the vein of what we were talking about with Vernon Golston, I think the Arizona Cardinals did things the other way. I think they found a way to maximize getting the guy that they were always going to take anyway when you read stuff now. And with the 21st pick in the 2023 Buckeye Talk Ultimate Draft, the Mighty Means are going to take Paris Johnson Jr. And I think I might be also getting, I might be reaching, but I also might be getting good value for him here as well because a couple of tackles have taken off the board. But it's like this dude was the sixth pick in the in the NFL draft, the first tackle taken, everything that we thought he was going to be. for Top tackle in his class ends up being the first tackle taken off the board. And you read stuff now, and even when the Cardinals had the third pick, it seemed like they were in love with Paris Johnson and were locked in on taking him when things boil down here. And then they just found a way to maximize that pick because it probably didn't make sense to take him at three the same way it made sense to get him at six. Yeah. I, I don't know why you, you are questioning whether this is a reach or not. I think this is, I think this is dead on. Mm-hmm. I, you're taking him at 21. Uh, I had him at 20. Mm. He is the fourth Ohio state tackle off our board behind Orlando pace, John Hicks and Corey Stringer. I have a couple other tackles that I have in mind. Paris Johnson is a prototypical tackle who was yeah. the number six overall pick in his draft and the first tackle off the board. And I think is a top 10 pick in every single draft you could find. And once upon a time we were having like a big, like Peter Skaronsky, everybody was oh, Peter Skaronsky, mm-hmm. Paris Johnson. It's like, I don't, it was, it was everything. It was always yeah. Paris. And I think those of us that covered Ohio state and watched him play every snap of his career always thought that, but premium position, Nathan, premium dude we haven't gotten to see it yet but i absolutely paris johnson has to go in this draft for us and i think mm-hmm. steven took him right in the in the correct range here nathan yeah he was actually 16th on my list he's essentially tied with another offensive lineman that might be the next guy i take and i, I think you're right i mean the the reach was probably stringer frankly i don't think paris johnson is the reach though and i think that um because of what you're saying, Doug, this is a guy that even though he only got the one year at left tackle and even though he didn't do Orlando pace things and probably won't have the Orlando pace ceiling from here on in still, he came out of high school as the best offensive line prospect in the country. And he ended his career as a consensus all American. And even if it wasn't quite the direct ascent from point A to point B, his career still basically got to where it was supposed to get. Like went 11 games this year without allowing a sack and only allowed sacks in the, the last two games against the best two teams that they played. Uh, just any number of accolades in on top of, of all of the, the, the person he is. And I think that, that it, as a tiebreaker at the worst, I think that's something that NFL teams do care about. Like if we're going to invest in a guy 
what are the chances that he has a bunch of issues and what are the chances that he uh, is going to be able to take care of himself in this with with riches and with responsibilities. And I don't think there's any question about that on Paris Johnson Jr. So I, I think this is uh, if you hadn't taken him, I, he wasn't going to make it another round of this draft, I don't think. He is one of five tackles for Ohio State who have gone in the top six. He's the third one of those guys that we have taken. So there's a there's a couple floating around here, or he's the fourth that we have taken. He, there's a couple floating around here still, right? So, um, but I just I just think this is this is the exact range, and it could be one of those things, Stephen. Again, we try not to let this is a good litmus test because. Mm-hmm. we're forced to do the thing we want to do anyway, which is only evaluate a guy as a prospect and not evaluate him based on what he did or didn't do in the NFL. But if he goes out and has, you know, five straight pro bowl seasons and we did this again in five years, it would leak in and he might go even higher. Mm-hmm. But I, I think, I think Paris deserves to go at this spot. Like it's, uh, there'll be a couple of the tackles. There'll be a couple of the tackles that go off the board, I think for us. Um, but I think, I think this is exactly where where Paris needs to be. We should call his mom and let her know. It's pretty it's a pretty big deal. Twenty first pick in the ultimate Ohio State draft. I mean, that's nothing to sneeze at, man. There's been ninety of them, ninety, ninety, and he's twenty first. I can't tell if she'll actually care or not. It's very because she's, she's she's a nice very nice woman. Yeah, so yeah. there's a fifty fifty chance that she, yeah. That's fair. She she would pretend to care, and then would you, she would be like, "You you know he's in the NFL, and he's getting paid millions of dollars to do mm-hmm. this now, right? That, right? And you're just a podcast. You understand that, right? Mm-hmm. So like, which would be all facts, cold yeah. hard facts. So like, yeah, you know, what could we quibble with about that? Okay, um, I am gonna make the next pick, and this is another guy that I had targeted once we got through. I considered him in the top 16 and I thought it might've been a little bit of a reach. I think this is more reflective and there's some stuff that I'm going to try. I think some things around him happened that affected his draft status. If that makes sense, which is going to help me justify taking him here with the 22nd pick in the ultimate Ohio state draft. Doug LaMarie selects Marshawn Lattimore cornerback from the 2017 NFL draft. And here's why I'm taking him here. He's the 11th overall pick that year. Eli Apple is the 10th pick in 2016. And it's just an overdraft. It's just, it's, he was never the 10th best player in that draft. I don't know what the Giants were doing. He's had a nice long NFL career. He's not the 10th best player in that draft. He's just not. Marshawn Lattimore is the first corner off the board in the 2017 draft. Because who's going off the board? Patrick Mahomes. Patrick Mahomes is the pick before Marshawn Lattimore, right? Deshaun Watson is the pick after Marshawn Lattimore. How about that? What kind of Lattimore sandwich is that? But also, by the way, like, I don't think the Saints are crying. They'd love to have Mahomes or Watson, but like Marshawn Lattimore is a really good pick. Christian McCaffrey goes ahead of him. Miles Garrett's the first pick in that draft. Like, there's a lot of good players in that draft. So I think maybe... Eli Apple being kind of like, eh, I don't know, might have pushed Marshawn down. And I think Marshawn being so good because he's the defensive rookie of the year helped Denzel Ward go for the next year. Because I think Marshawn Lattimore is a better draft prospect than Denzel Ward. 
Now, one is fourth, one is 11th. They're back-to-back years. I mean, by the you would say that's wrong. The NFL says that's wrong. Marshawn's a little bigger. I think Marshawn is just a physical dude in man coverage, and it's nothing against Denzel. I think Marshawn Lattimore is practically a perfect NFL cornerback. Now, his hamstrings exploded for two years. He only put it on film for one year. That's part of it. But, you know, we already drafted Nick Bosa, right? Like, he was actually hurt. Marshawn wasn't hurt the last year. He just was hurt everything up to that. So if you had something in the back of your head, like, are his hamstrings going to explode? I get it. It probably factors into the draft evaluation to some degree. Outside of that, I don't think there's a minus on this guy. And so I just think he was, in the end, truly a better prospect. No corner went ahead of him. There's a bunch of quarterbacks in his draft that knock him down a little bit. And I think there's a little circumstance stuff. He helps Denzel, might be hurt by Apple. He goes 11th, and I will take him at number 22 here. Steven, what do you think? Fourth defensive player overall taken two. And it's two edge rushers and Jamal Adams, who's Jamal Adams. I get it. And I actually thought about taking him later on and not going with Denzel Ward as high as I went with Denzel Ward. But the hamstring thing is the hamstring thing, man. And that was a thing during his draft process of like, the combine was kind of like D-Day for him of can he get through the 40? Can he get through it? Because if he could just get through the 40, this dude's a top 10 pick. I think he did like a thing with uninterrupted at the time. And that was like the conversation is like, if he gets through this 40, he's like a top 10 pick. If he doesn't get through this 40, he might not be a first rounder because of that exact reason. So he fall. he's another dude who falls in the category of he needed Indianapolis and Pro Day to help him cement his case because it wasn't a talent issue. It was just a health issue. The difference was Nick Bosa was already Nick Bosa before the injury started to pile up. Marshawn had to spend six months showing he was Marshawn Lattimore to the rest of the country. Nathan, did you have Marshawn Lattimore on your board at all? Uh, coincidentally, I had him number 22 on my board. Uh, and the only defensive back, only corners I had – uh, ahead of him have already been taken by us. So I think this is a, a makes a lot of sense. I do. I, I, I was thinking of the, the hamstring injuries a little bit as I was putting them on here and wondered uh, you would again, have a better effect than that, how much that might've affected his draft stock. But as much as we were talking about with Bosa and Smith and Jigba, it seemed like that had pretty much been decided um, or, or been answered by the time the draft actually came around. Okay. That takes us to pick number 23, Nathan to you. With, Pick number 23 in the Ohio State all-time draft. Nathan Baird will take Chris Ward, offensive tackle, kind of keeping up with the the theme of uh, a, a highly coveted position. And a guy who is a two-time All-American, he is currently a um, – remains on the, pro, the College Football Hall of Fame ballot, along with uh, James Laurinaitis. Um, um, but a guy who went number four in that draft and uh, those guys tend to – uh, hold up across eras, I think. Yeah, I, I, he's got to go. We we can't, you know, he's not a super old guy. It's the 1978 draft. We have to acknowledge mm-hmm. that. He's the fourth pick. Like, what are we, like, how, so are we, I think Chris Ward, if we did, again, he's on the, on the College Football Hall of Fame ballot, Nathan. I think he's been on it before. Mm-hmm. If we did, like, most underappreciated Buckeyes, I think Chris Ward is probably the top 10. Like, the guy's, you know, the Paris Johnson of his era. And I don't know that there are people who are hearing his name right now who are like, who? And it's because he's a lineman. 
And because maybe tackles weren't talked about the same way back then, I had him 29th on my list. He goes here at 23. I was reading the draft coverage from his draft. It was a weak draft. Everybody sort of said that. And so, you know, is it like, okay. So that, for instance, is why Paris is six. Chris Ward is four. We take Paris Johnson ahead of Chris Ward in our draft. I think that's right. I don't think we just have to lean on, well, Chris Ford went, Ward went two picks higher because I do think there are circumstances, but also the guy was awesome at Ohio State and then went to the NFL at what is now a premium position. So, Nathan, I think you had to take him here. I think this is a good pick. Steven, was he on your radar? Great pick. He was the next tackle up, uh, up from offensive lineman up for me. I think this is a great value pick right here. This is going to be a lot of t- tackles that end up in this first round draft we're doing. I think and I again, might have like, spoke before there. Go ahead, Nathan. No, go ahead and finish what you're saying. And I'll, I was going to throw out. A- I just, I, I may have misspoke before. There are five tackles in, at Ohio state who have gone in the top six of the draft. And four of them have now been taken in our draft. Orlando okay. pace, who was a number one pick. John Hicks was the number three pick. Chris Ward was the number four pick and Paris Johnson was the number six pick. So all but one of those top tackle guys now off the board. I, it was just funny. I was looking at this 78 NFL draft and Earl Campbell goes number one overall, Hall of Famer, five Pro Bowls. Uh, a defensive end named Art Still goes number two, four Pro Bowls. A receiver named Wes Chandler goes number three, four Pro Bowls. And then seven of the next eight guys in that draft didn't go to any Pro Bowls, and that includes Chris Ward, with one exception being another Hall of Famer, James Lofton. So it's it, it was kind of a, a weaker draft. I think you could see how top-heavy it was there. But a guy who was a two-time All-American – just even among the guys that we've been looking at, the 90 guys on this list, that is still a pretty small group. It is. No, I think, I, I, you know, this would be one of those. I don't know if we would ever do a series on like underappreciated Buckeyes or, you know, not you don't want to use the word forgotten because that's not fair because it's not about them. It's about us. But you could write 1500 words on Chris Ward and what he's up to and what he thinks of his career. And if he gets in the hall of fame, might be a good time to do it. So um, if you haven't heard of Chris Ward, go learn more about him. He absolutely deserves to be in this draft and he's off the board at number 23, which takes us to you, Steven at pick 24. Yeah. Uh, linebacker. I'm, I'm going to take another linebacker here, but I'm going to take him because a lot of this is what they review that on draft on during their draft process. And so what is this pick number 22? Is pick number 22, I believe? 24. 24. 24, okay. With the 24th pick, the mighty means you're going to select A.J. Hawk. Fifth pick in the draft, two-time All-American, one-time unanimous All-American, Lombardi Award winner. I mean, he was the best linebacker in the country, and then like he, the, the NFL said he was a top-five draft pick. I think this is right. I had A.J. Hawk at number 22 on my list. You're taking him here at 24. We took Cousineau, mm-hmm. who was the overall number pick in, number one pick in his draft. This is right when I get here. I covered only A.J. Hawk's last season at Ohio State in 2005, but again, trying to dive into draft coverage that year. I can remember talking to a scout who said, like, he is a jump on the desk kind of guy, that A.J. Hawk is that kind of player. Like, you have to make your team – take him. And so again, the way that the game has evolved, it's kind of hard to wrap your head around. It's like, what? But like still like in, you know, in 06, the 06 draft, like linebackers are still super valuable. Mm -hmm. And so he wound up having like a very good NFL career, not a hall of fame NFL career. But I think this Nathan, like 
this is where we start to see linebackers go off the board in actual NFL drafts right now. Right. And, and AJ Hawk, I mean, if we wanted to do this, if we wanted to say, let's do the best linebacker draft prospects of this century, AJ Hawk is up there, man. He was like a, a, he was a he was a will linebacker, so he was a you know he was a run and chase kind of linebacker, but with good size. Everybody knows he was an underrated recruit, and then came here and just balled out. So, uh, you know, some positional value matters, but also you know if you're good, you're good. So I think this is an absolutely appropriate place for AJ Hawk to go. Nathan, where did you have AJ? So he actually wasn't in my top 32, and I was down. I was lower on linebackers than I think either of you guys were just in general. I only have two on my list. There's one other guy who I think would it'll be an interesting conversation maybe to have comparing him and A.J. Hawk as term, in terms of like modern NFL linebacker prospects if we get to that. But uh, it's not because I don't think A.J. Hawk was a, a great player because, I again, um, I can't remember who we were talking about yesterday that um, – where it jumped out to me like this, um, Sean Springs, I think who we were talking about, like there's just those guys that even before I was covering Ohio state, when I was, you know, in the big 10 footprint, but more removed, but guys, you just had like an indelible image, indelible image of them. Uh, AJ Hawk was one of those guys. And then obviously, you know, being with the Packers uh, for a while, obviously affected that as well for me, someone who was following the bears. So they became like a rivalry thing, but, but, you know, I, I, I understand why he would go here. Um, and I think this stage of the draft is is more appropriate. Yeah. Just to highlight how much positional value has changed over the past 15 years here. There were five linebackers taken in the first round of that 06 draft. And the first two picks of the second round were, the, were linebackers as well, including DeMarco Ryans, who is now CJ Shaw's head coach for the Texans. And that's would probably not happen. That's where that's like where edge rusher is at this point where there's yep. five, six, seven guys going within the first 35 picks right now. But I think that that more makes the case for where AJ Hawk was at that point where it's, there's five linebackers taken and he's the first one. And there's two of them in the top 10 and two of them were Buckeyes, of course, with Bobby Carpenter also going in the first round that year. All right. So that's a good pick. That's AJ Hawk at pick number 24. That will take me to pick number 25. And I'm going to take, uh, the last of a group here that we've been talking about. And with the 25th pick in the ultimate Ohio State draft, Doug Marie selects Bob Vogel, offensive tackle. And he is the last tackle who was a top six pick uh, in Ohio State history. Last guy off the board here for us. He's the number five pick in the 1963 NFL draft. And we talked about uh, on the previous pod, Jim Parker, Ohio State great. NFL uh, Pro Football Hall of Famer winds up on the offensive line for the Baltimore Colts, blocking for Johnny Unitas. So does Bob Vogel. And so later in Jim Parker's career, like one side of the line for the Colts is two Ohio State guys. It's Bob Vogel and it's Jim Parker. And Vogel, he's the first tackle taken in his draft. He's an All-American his last year at Ohio State. Of course, he's not as big as tackles are now, but in that era, Nathan, when you try to read about him, it seems like he is a prototypical tackle in college and in the NFL in the era he played in. So, okay, we didn't take him in the top 10, but I think that deserves to go off the board here. And so I feel good sort of finishing up that group that if if you if we if we wanted to do it this way, I mean if we want to have a conversation who are the best offensive tackles in Ohio State history, we now have selected 
Orlando Pace, Corey Stringer, Chris Ward, John Hicks, Paris Johnson, and Bob Vogel. And I think that seems appropriate to me. So I'll take him here. Nathan, what do you think? No, yeah, he was definitely in my top 32. And I've been trying to decide because there's some positions where it can be very difficult, or at least you have that question in your mind of uh, from a previous era, does this translate to modern NFL? But I think when I look at, at the trenches and other than size, because once in a while you'll get a, you know, 258 pound tackle or whatever, and that's just not going to fly anymore. They'd have to add 50, 60 pounds. That makes them a very different human being. But other than size, I tend to look at those guys who were great linemen, whether that's offensive linemen or maybe at least interior defensive linemen and think that probably translates that the, the skills that the, the base skills required of that position haven't changed so drastically over the course of the NFL. Now, maybe if you were from an era of football where they just didn't pass protect, that would be something to, to, to take into consideration. But for anybody from the invention of, of the, you know, the, the forward pass on, um, I, I think that's a pretty easy conversion to try to make, to, to bring them into the, the modern analysis. He's also a five-time pro bowler in the NFL. So again, like, does it leak in? It's like, this is a guy who was great at Ohio state, high pick, goes on and is great in the NFL in a way that matters. So I, I do think that Bob Vogel off the board here uh, is appropriate, which brings us to pick 26 and you, Nathan. Yeah, so staying with uh, defensive backs, I'm going to uh, Nathan Baird with the 26th pick in the Ohio State all-time draft. We'll take Malcolm Jenkins. I think he was the number 14 pick in that draft. But going back to some other conversations we've had about guys and their versatility and knowing that you're taking a guy in the first round, and maybe there's question of whether he is a corner, maybe there's question of whether he's a safety, maybe there's a question of which safety spot he fits. That don't think there's a lot of question that he needs to be on the field for you a lot. He need, he will be able to play for you somewhere, and uh, that raises the floor on a guy. Uh, and then obviously he's followed that up and been and been very productive, but. I, I think when you have a guy who is that unique athletically that you have that certainty that even if you even if you can't project the exact position he's going to play on draft day, but he's an NFL defensive back in some capacity, uh, that that deserves to go pretty high here. So I love Malcolm Jenkins. Everybody knows that. Malcolm Jenkins is a corner at Ohio State. This is you know, defenses used to be less sophisticated. Like I think his senior year, they started when they'd go to like a nickel look, he'd slide back to safety and they'd bring in a mm-hmm. corner. And so it was like, oh, he plays some safety. And I can remember in the draft process, people were like, I don't know, he might be a safety. And I was like, how dare you say he's a safety? Malcolm Jenkins. And then he's a safety. And I was all offended on Malcolm Jenkins. A great safety. That people thought of him mm-hmm. potentially as a safety. And you look at that, I think he might've played corner his rookie year. And then he plays for a decade as one of the best safeties in the, in the NFL, seven years in new Orleans, six years in Philadelphia. I think in his time, he's one of the best leaders in the NFL. He was one of the best leaders that you would come across at Ohio state. He's incredibly impactful. He's incredibly durable. He plays 199 NFL games in 13 years. And yet I didn't have him in my top 32. And I really thought about him. But I was thinking about like if he's not a if he's not a cover corner like that. But I'm not disputing it, man. I, I'll pick Malcolm Jenkins on any team you can get him on. So I like that he's in this draft. Stephen, how did you think about Malcolm? I think safeties are always you got to convince me why they need to be first round draft picks. 
And I think he falls in that category of a guy where you could get behind it. And it's because he does have a little bit of a corner background, but just like physically, that dude, I mean, you could play him at multiple spots in your defense. And I think that's what it looks like. This is what it looks like when you take a safety in the first round. But I do think other defensive backs who have been taken, I think we're done, at least in my opinion, of defensive backs who I felt like were draftable in this situation. Uh, I have a couple other guys who might be close, but I don't, I don't completely disagree with that. I do think it's a little bit of the guy that I took to end the first pod. I think he might be the closest thing that Ohio State's had to a modern day Jack Tatum who can mm. cover, who can hit, who will blow you up, who is physical, who is just like intimidating on the field. Malcolm Jenkins is, a, is incredibly intimidating. There's actually another guy that I'm going to think about taking, depending how it falls, who I think is also would fit that category. But I do like Malcolm Jenkins going off the board here at 26, which brings us to uh, Stephen Means at pick 27. Yeah, with the 27th pick, I'm going to take Jim Houston, who's the number eighth pick in the 1960 draft. Another guy where it's like, I wonder what that looks like today. And that size of a guy who played in here but played linebacker in the NFL, he just looks like a dude you throw in a 3-4. He was 6'3", 240 pounds, and fun fact, he won a Ohio State championship. He won a championship at Ohio State, and he won a championship at the Browns, so he triple-crowned it in his home state. It's pretty awesome. But I just think this is a guy from that era who I think fits well in today's scheme with how they would be used, and I think he could have the same type of impact and still be viewed as the same type of prospect. Steven, you and I were so off kilter in the first pod, and we are totally in sync in we're this pod. There. You're taking Jim... There. Jim Houston at 27. I had him at 25. Mm. Again, he's a top 10 pick. He's an end. Again, this is back in the day when you're an end, and that means you play both ways, and you're yep. you're both you're Chase Young and you're Marvin Harrison Jr. So he like has a 100-yard receiving game in his Ohio State career. Mm-hmm. He's on the field constantly. He plays both ways. He's the MVP of Ohio State's team, and it's like, well, what does any of that even mean? Mm-hmm. He's an All-American in 1958 and 1959. It's like, what does this mean? And then they get to the NFL and they just make him a linebacker. And it's like, oh, he's great. It's like, okay. So they figured it out. So this is another one. Like, Nathan, the lost in translation, we can't let that lead us to ignore these kind of players. Perhaps it makes them fall a little bit. But this guy's a little bit kind of like Paul Warfield on the defensive side of the ball. It's like, okay, well, the NFL kind of figured him out. Okay, was... When he was in the NFL, he wasn't necessarily at Ohio State, but he was awesome at Ohio State. And then once the NFL figured out how to use him, he was also awesome in the NFL. So he has to go here. And I think it's a good pick by Steven. Did you have him on your list, Nathan? He he didn't make the cut for me, but I I, I get it because I think, again, you're, you're projecting – it depends on how you want to look at it. It's like, well, um, you know, the, the modern NFL – um, values the the kind of now what is considered conventional edge rusher so much, and he probably doesn't fit that profile. But the fact that he could move to linebacker and be a an essential guy from there it probably overrides that fact. A guy that kind of like the argument I was almost just making with um, with Malcolm Jenkins, the guy that has to be on the field and you have to use him in some way. So I I, I totally get this pick. And then he played for the Browns. So that makes people in Ohio excited. Okay, we are 27 picks in. That means we have five picks left, and that means we will finish up the ultimate Ohio State draft after this on Buckeye Talk. Doug Lee Maurice back 
with Nathan Baird and Stephen Means. I have one, two, three, four, five, six, seven guys left on my list who were in my top 32. We only have five picks. And so I am going to reach a little bit here. I am going to reach a little bit here. I acknowledge the reach. But I am going to take a guy who I think could be in the argument for the most unique player in Ohio State history. From a draft perspective, he certainly is. And with the 28th pick in the ultimate Ohio State draft, Doug Maurice selects tight end Ricky Dudley. And he is the only true tight end ever drafted in the first round. Doug France played tight end at Ohio State. The Los Angeles Rams took him. And the day they took him, they said, you're a tackle. So he's like a blocking tight end. Ricky Dudley looks like Kyle Pitts. That's why it's like, oh, how would that translate? I don't know. Would teams be punching each other in the face to draft Ricky Dudley? He looks like George Kittle. Like, what is this? So he's making catches in traffic. They're flipping him little screens and letting him run. People know the story. Ricky Dudley is a great basketball player. He decides to play football. He pops in football. We saw like Antonio Gates, what Antonio Gates was in the NFL after playing college basketball. Ricky Dudley is at the front of the evolution of what tight ends have now become in the NFL. And so he, he didn't really like in his NFL career, he, he didn't long in that kind of discussion. He had 787 receiving yards, which is pretty darn good. His second year in the NFL with the Raiders, but he's a top 10 pick in the 96 draft. And Steven, I, I feel a little reachy, but like from a translation standpoint, I don't feel reachy at all. And also he is of the era of giant shoulder pads guy. And you watch his highlights and you think, please don't hurt people. I don't know if taking tight ends in the first round, even when they're freaks ever doesn't feel reachy. Cause even Kyle Pitts going at four is like, know if you got the best value for that so i I, so you just have to live with it if you're going to take a freak at tight end you just got to fall into it and take a freak at tight end and he makes me think about jelani thurman and the reason why he makes me think about jelani thurman is this dude was number nine pick in the draft and he had 681 career receiving yards at ohio state so it's it's not like they used him at ohio state and he turned into the top 10 pick so jelani you can have less than a thousand yards in your career and still potentially be a first round draft pick just look at this guy. But I, I agree with this wholeheartedly. And once again, I cannot believe Cooper had this much talent in the 90s. <laughs> it really, I, your, head can, your head can spin a little bit. Like, Cooper, what I, were I, you doing at the end of every year, man? <laughs> well, and like, but the 681 receiving yards, I, I'd be curious to go back and see how many college teams, major college teams especially, were showcasing tight ends in the passing yeah. game that – would have put up big numbers the way that it is. I mean, the game has evolved and I, I had this guy, I had Dudley in my 32 and then he kept creeping up as I kind of recalibrated my list. And I had a sneaky suspicion. I didn't have him high enough. I, I was thinking about jumping down my list and taking him actually in that last round, because I just feel like if he was going number nine in 96, this position is more important in the NFL now than it was in 1996. Like it's, it can be a showcase piece of offenses. And I I understand sometimes why teams make that dart throw early on these physical freaks at tight end, because whether it's, I mean, name, name any number of guys, you already mentioned Antonio Gates, Tony Gonzalez, 
uh, Aaron Hernandez, Rob Ronkowski. I mean, the, the long list of guys now who have transformed offenses on great teams by being a m- massive mismatch at that position. Um, it speaks for itself. So I think he would have gone. This is probably low if we're going by where the modern NFL would see a player like this. To Steven's point, there have been eight tight ends taken in the first round in the last seven drafts. So it's about one a year, mm-hmm. right? But I do think everybody's looking for the rare dude. And I think Ricky Dudley still would qualify as a rare dude. So, um, you know, I do think, Nathan, like at some point, it's like, you know, you're taking Ricky Dudley ahead of AJ Hawk or Jim Houston. Like, what are you doing? It's like, okay. But, but like, then you get into, because again, again, if we, I, we just come up with most unique Ohio State players, because there are a lot of guys that come through. It's like, well, it's like as good as AJ Hawk was, AJ Hawk left and James Laurinaitis stepped in. It was like, oh, that feels the same. You know, it's one of those, like, well, there's always mm-hmm. a guy like that. And as good as AJ Hawk was, it's like, well, they had Andy Katzenmoyer and they had Chris Spiel. Like, they've, they've often had a guy like that. They have not had a guy like Ricky Dudley. Jeff Hireman is not Ricky Dudley. Jeremy Ruckert is not Ricky Dudley. Like, this is not what we've seen here. And like Jelani Thurman, if you had Ricky Dudley in his Ohio State uniform stand next to Jelani Thurman, Stephen, it would look like, oh, well, this is Ricky Dudley and his little cousin. Mm-hmm. But what when we see Jelani Thurman, we're like, oh, my God, because you don't see it that much. So I do think like that that pushes him up because we just had a receiver discussion. It's like, I don't know, Joey Galloway or Terry Glenn or Garrett Wilson, or they're all good, but like they're all kind of good in the same way. There have not been a lot of guys good like Ricky Dudley, Steven. I test, right? Chase Young was like the first time you saw him, you were like, Oh, so that guy's gonna be a top five draft pick one day. Uh Sean Springs. I test. Oh, that guy looks like he's really good at football. Ricky Dudley's another Eddie George who hasn't but maybe he comes up in the draft again, but Eddie George, Sean Springs, you know, Chase Young, Ricky Dudley. These are dudes who just look like from the moment they step on campus, that guy is going to be a day one draft pick as long as nothing crazy happens. All right. So Ricky Dudley off the board at 28, Nathan, that brings you to number 29, your pick. So only two wide receivers off the board at this point. And, you know, we've seen like in this past draft, it was, it was the twenties for any of them were taken, but I, I feel like um, with the amount of talent that Ohio State, as we've said, has put in the NFL at this position in the last few years, I think there would probably be at least one more taken. And so now we can have the argument over who that should be. But uh, with the 29th pick of the Ohio State all-time draft, Nathan Baird will take Chris Olave. I think this is a little recency bias, uh, which is fine. I did not have him in my top 32 Steven, how were you thinking about Alave? I put him in a group with Terry Glenn and Ted Ginn. And I don't know what the right answer is with those three. Because I think Ted Ginn's speed was so rare and unique that it's why he went as high as he did. While with Glenn and Chris Olave, I think they just might be the same in terms of what they are as draft prospects. So you just kind of go with preference. So if I had to pick an order here, I think I would go Glenn and Olave 1A and 1B, and then Ginn is third, even if he was the highest draft pick, even if he 
not, not the highest draft pick, even if he went higher than what Chris Olave went. Yeah, Ted Kidd Jr., number nine pick in 2007. Chris Olave, number 11 pick in 2022. Terry Glenn, number seven pick yeah. in 96. Joey Galloway, number eight pick in 1995. Uh, I, I don't think Ginn should be in the top 32. I think Ted mm-hmm. Ginn was also overdrafted. He has had a long, a, he had an unbelievably long NFL career. He was never a number one mm-hmm. in the NFL. And for the Dolphins to draft him and think he's a number one, he's a number two. He's a complimentary guy. I'm not saying Chris Olave is a number two. I wouldn't say that. I, 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 that's wrong. But I do think, and I'm not going to pretend to be an expert on Terry Glenn. I do think if you watch Terry Glenn, he's similar and there's a little more razzle-dazzle. There's a little more explosion, I think, to Terry Glenn. So the three receivers that I had in the mix to me on this second half of this round were David Boston, Garrett Wilson, and Terry Glenn. Terry Glenn did make my top 32. I did not have Olave in there. And it's not, it's, I do think it's, it's like the same conversation. It's just like, what shade of, of blue do you like, Nathan? It's like, why mm-hmm. is blue? I shouldn't use that color. People are going to have drive off the road. <laughs> what shade of red do you prefer? It's all red. It's all, you know, so like that, I don't like to have like a 45 minute Terry Glenn versus Chris Olave. Right. How dare you? One is definitively right and one is definitively wrong is not at all what we're doing here. Did you feel like once you thought, because I think you're making some good points about like, they have some good receivers and receivers kind of matter in the NFL. Let's take some receivers here. And I think you're right on that. Once Wilson and Boston are off the board, are you pretty locked in on Olave or was it a tough decision to get to Olave here compared to some of the other guys? I had Glenn on my list too, but I had some separation here and it may be recency bias is the way to say it, but I also think that there needs to be acknowledgement for the era of Ohio state football that we're in and, and how the NFL draft and how NFL talent evaluators look at Ohio state talent in this modern era where guys are being developed by Brian Hartline. They're being recruited by Hartline. They're playing with Ryan day quarterbacks. And I think they're getting to the NFL as more polished and complete uh, receivers than even these super talented guys were from the like generation ahead of them. So that was kind of my tiebreaker that I think if you're going to lean one way or the other, I'm going to lean towards the guy who is truly playing in a style of Ohio State offense that most mirrors what they're going to do making this transition to the NFL. Okay. I think that makes sense. I think we have three more picks left, and that brings us to number 30, Stephen, and you. Yeah. I'm going to use a little bit of clock here because I've got a couple ways I can go with this. It's hard because this is the last pick for you. We each have one pick left at this point. And it's like, well, do you just sort of go down to your list, or is there a guy that's like, man, if I don't take him now, I'm not going to take him. He's not going to make this Yeah, man. He's not going to make the ultimate draft. Who is the guy that you're like, I got to get this guy in. I got to get this guy in. It affects the thinking. And I, I don't think yeah. that's unlike what it, how NFL teams think. Of like, well, we like this. We're like, but I, we got like, we can't let this opportunity pass. Even if it might be wrong, the chance that it's right is like, we got to take this guy. So I, I think it's okay to let that kind of thinking factor in when you get to this point in the draft. Especially when 
we're late in a draft. Like, if this was a real NFL draft, we're talking about teams who are Super Bowl contenders at this point, typically. So they're not looking to feel an immediate need, a dude who needs to just be awesome from day one. They're trying to fill holes. So I'm think I'm thinking about that as well. And you know what? I'm going to take Dante Whitner here. All Top right. 10 draft pick. I think I, – I don't know if he – I don't think he maybe should have gone as high as he did, but I do think he was a first-round draft pick when you read a lot of the stuff. And obviously, I grew up watching that era because this is 2006 NFL draft we're talking about here. But a quality guy – and this is where you get those level of quality guys where you're just plugging that guy into a Super Bowl team. And I think that's what he has been. So I was at Dante Whitner's draft party. Good for you. We could not believe, we could not believe he was the eighth pick in the 2006 NFL draft. It was, it was, it was unbelievable. I mean, cause you thought he was going to go like in the teens or mm-hmm. in the twenties or whatever, but he's a modern pick. He is. And he's the other guy. When I said, who's the modern Jack Tatum? Is it Malcolm Jenkins? The other guy I had in mind was Dante Winter because mm-hmm. he will blow you up. And he played that slot safety position for them at times when they're on third down, right? And he turned out to be a really good NFL player. So mm-hmm. maybe it felt like, I don't want to say, it was unexpectedly early at the time. He went to the Bills. The Bills really liked him, but he backed it up. So he turned out to be like, and he was exactly who you thought he was. So he can cover, but he'll hit, impacts your defense. And so I had him on my list. He did not quite squeak into my 32 but I don't hate having him picked just like I didn't hate having Malcolm Jenkins picked. And so I do think Nathan, again, if we're having a modern NFL conversation, it's like, huh, how does Dante Whitner fit in? It's like, I don't know. He'll blow up your passing game. That's how I'll fit in. So I think there's a lot of that that makes you lean toward a guy like this. Yeah. Whitner was actually 26th on my list. I think he's a completely plausible guy to go in the first round of a exercise like this. And um, I, I especially like to look at it through the lens of, because teams who were drafting in the last few picks of a first round are maybe looking at the equation differently than teams drafting in the first 10 picks of the first round where you're trying to hit your, you know, for top of the thing, it's, it's best possible talent. Bottom of the thing where you're in the playoff, you're in a position to like win divisions already. Maybe you're looking to get a positional value or a positional need in a more specific way. And uh, I like kind of the way Steven thought of this. Okay. That is pick 30, two picks left. I have one, two, three, four, five, six guys I want to pick. So (laughs) I have a knot in my stomach. And I think I probably, what I'm going to do is I'm just going to, I am going to take the guy who was actually highest on my board. I'm going to take him here at 31. He's 26th on my list. And with the 31st pick in the ultimate Ohio State draft, Doug LaMarie selects Eddie George, running back the 14th pick in the 1996 NFL draft. He was actually the third running back off the board in that draft mm-hmm. behind Lawrence Phillips and Tim Biakabatuka. And like, I think that probably is nice for Ohio State fans to rub that in. It's like, oh, the Heisman guy went behind Tim Biakabatuka. How'd that work out for you? Team that t- took Tim Biakabatuka, the Panthers who took Tim Biakabatuka ahead of Eddie George and Eddie George goes on and has like an unbelievable NFL career. So he backs it up. But I do think at this point in the draft, Nathan, I also think it's, you can rationalize it because he's sort of like a, he's a sure thing. 
And he's a sure thing because what he was at Ohio State is exactly what he was in the NFL. We were talking about Zeke, how he had 300 carries in three of his first four years on the previous pod, and then he started to break down. Eddie George had 300-plus carries in all eight of his full NFL seasons, including a 400-carry season. They just got him and gave him the ball for almost a decade. And like the NFL production shouldn't matter, but that's what you thought you were drafting. You got exactly it. And so as much as running back is not a thing anymore, it's like if you think about running backs who go, Clyde Edwards-Alaire was the 32nd pick in the draft a couple mm-hmm. of years ago. Who would you rather have, Clyde Edwards-Alaire or Eddie George coming out of college? You would take Eddie George. So I think this is reasonable. Paul Warfield, again, was a running back basically at, at Ohio State, but then was sort of was a receiver as soon as he got to the NFL. So in terms of actual running backs, there have been 15 running backs in Ohio State history who were drafted in the first round. Zeke is the only pure running back that we've taken until Eddie George. So that's why I felt like we needed to represent this as well. But I also think it's a good pick. What do you think, Nathan? Yeah, no, I, I mean, Eddie George is such a he, – he kind of defines an era for me a little bit. Like I remember him both in college and the NFL. Like this is when I was you know growing up in this. This is like high school era for me. I'm pretty sure down on my basement right now I've still got Eddie George rookie cards um, from, from collecting football cards back in the day. Like he just was a, a, a dude. And I think it, it, it was reliability – but a, a special kind of reliability, right? Like it wasn't just a guy who showed up and did his job. It was like excellence in a re- reliable kind of way. And uh, that definitely needs to be recognized here. I, I def- and, and this is the kind of running back pick at this stage of the first round that I think still makes sense for NFL teams in a lot of ways. Unless you're getting like the really special, complete unicorn guy, this is where you should probably be the um, – the top of where you're thinking about taking running backs in, in the current NFL. This is about where the Steelers took Najee Harris a couple of years ago. This is where it makes sense mm. to take your back. If you're going to take a first rounder late in the first round or early in the second round, when the run typically happens, I thought he was the only other running back that was maybe draftable in a situation like this, because once again, shout out to you, Coop, another one of those guys where you just put him in some shoulder pads and give him a crop top. And he just looks the part. He looks, I mean, he's, he, he looks the part. I think the more nutsy thing here is you brought up the 403 carries he had for the Titans that year. They gave him the ball 453 times in 2000. That's, I'm done. I'm retiring after a season like that. He went on to have a couple more years, but I, I agree. This is the only other running back that should have come off the board. And, that, and I think it's right that he came off here while Zeke came off a lot earlier because it also tells the story of how they reviewed during the draft process where Zeke was almost this like can't miss thing. And, and Eddie George is the same way, but he was like the third running back taken off the board in the way that maybe the third wide receiver might come off the board in today's era. Ezekiel Elliott picked 12 in our draft, Eddie George here at pick 31, which means Nathan Baird, you will wrap this up with, we don't want to, what's the, what do they call the guy in the NFL? Mr. Mr. Irrelevant. We, Mr. We're not going to apply that. We're not, he, but he I know be, the last pick of the can, seventh round. Yeah, he could be Mr. Irrelevant because everybody in this draft is relevant. Well, sometime yeah, in Mr. late. Mr. Relevant is much yeah. better. Sometime in late October when we're doing the seventh round version of this, we can, mm. uh, the second episode of the second, of the seventh round episode, we can 
we can do that. Yeah. Um, is that Rutgers so week? Do, yeah. <laughs> That'll be the bye, the bye week and all Rutgers week. Um, I still have like six or seven guys that I had originally put in my top 32, but I think I also am going to just take the guy who is highest on my list. And it's a little bit sad, I think, because I think you can play some revisionist history here. And we don't want to take it too far. But if another – so in the 2019 draft, Dwayne Haskins goes number 15 to the Redskins, who were just an absolute garbage fire of a franchise basically at that point. I think they were probably the worst – one of the worst-run franchises in sports at that point. Um, and, and especially after the peak of like when I was growing up and they were almost – the Cadillac of NFL franchises, like going to winning Super Bowls over the Joe Gibbs era. It was just, it was a a great time to be a Washington football fan. And then for what that devolved to, and then the expectations that then follow on him to be drafted that high, I don't know how everything contributed, how that, how his career might've gone in a different path, but to get taken at number 32, potentially by a team that, um, now it, it, that team would have been, you know, presumably either the Super Bowl winner or somebody who traded that pick, but you could be being taken here by a team that maybe had its stuff together a little bit more. And maybe he didn't need to start on day one. And maybe it could have been somebody who, um, had better, uh, a better tutelage for him and, and helped him grow into what he could have become. Um, and sadly we'll never know, but with the 32nd pick of the all time Ohio state draft, I'll take. Nathan Barry will take Dwayne Haskins. So this is a nice way to end this, you know, covering the combine that year, like the idea that Daniel Jones would be the sixth pick in the draft mm-hmm. taken by the giants and Dwayne Haskins would last to 15 was like crazy. It's like, mm-hmm. what, are, what are we talking about? Daniel Jones. Now it turns out that Daniel Jones had a better NFL career than Dwayne Haskins did. And Daniel Jones, Dan, Daniel Jones turns out to be pretty darn mobile too. They, runs the ball like a running back every now and then. So it felt crazy at the time. I thought Dwayne was the best quarterback beyond Kyler Murray. Once Kyler Murray, because I remember being at the combine before, or maybe it was before the combine, but before Kyler Murray officially decided he wasn't going to play baseball Mm -hmm. and thinking like, could it be, could we were talking about, Oh, well they have one, two thinking like, could Dwayne Haskins and Nick Bosa be one, two in this draft. And then all of a sudden it's Kyler's like, okay, well, Kyler's going to go one. And then Nick's probably going to go two. And now Dwayne's going to fall down a little bit. He, in the end, right, he didn't move great. So I do think, Stephen, that affected the NFL evaluation of him. Even if in the moment I thought it shouldn't, I think he's a pocket passer. I think he's a point guard. Get the ball out. I would have taken him instead of Daniel Jones. The NFL didn't think that. And so I didn't have Dwayne in my top 32 because of like that kind of thinking. Mm -hmm. But he easily could have gone in the top 10. He easily could have. And so it is not crazy to have him here when we talk about the quarterback position. How did you evaluate Dwayne, Stephen? You almost do the opposite of what we've had to do with some of these other players where you go, okay, but what does that, how does that translate now? I think there's a world where if this is like 2002, Dwayne Haskins is the surefire number one pick in the NFL draft. But as the mobility of quarterbacks has become more and more relevant, the less and less valuable you are as the guy who just sits in the pocket and can't move it. Cause at least with CJ star, he can move. It's not his best attribute by any means, but he can do it when you need him to do it. Dwayne is just like, 
Like, I remember my first game I covered here, the Nebraska game, he took off and one yard out, he tried to QB slide, and it was the worst thing I've ever seen in my life. So it's it's hard because as the years go on, his value as a draft prospect, that style of quarterback, lessons and lessons and lessons. And also he fell in his own draft. That wraps up this second half of the draft. We started it at pick 17 with Garrett Wilson. Then we went David Boston, Paul Warfield, Vernon Golston, Paris Johnson, Marshawn Lattimore, Chris Ward, A.J. Hawk, Bob Vogel, Malcolm Jenkins, Jim Houston, Ricky Dudley, Chris Olave, Dante Whitner, Eddie George, Dwayne Haskins. That just makes your head spin, which is why I like this. We're just like, what? Is it, it, it's just like all these guys. All these guys. We only drafted 32. That means there's 58 we didn't draft. So I think we accomplished what we wanted to accomplish here. I have a handful of guys. Let's just run through the other guys that we had on our own personal lists that Mm -hmm. didn't get drafted. I had five. The next guy that would have been off the board for me is Will Smith at defensive end, Mm -hmm. who I think is, again, I referenced this on the first pod, like the, the ESPN draft rankings. They go back as far as his draft in 2004. His ranking, his rating was through the roof. Mm-hmm. He's like a 96. His rating is higher than Chase Young. And it's like, okay, I, but there were a bunch of guys. Who, but th- he is a little bit of a combination of like the, I think the the flexible, bend the edge, get out, but also a big physical guy. Uh, he's exactly what you want. You know, Cam Hayward, I think, is going to wind up in the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Cam Hayward was a 31st pick. He just wasn't viewed the same way. Yeah. So I don't think you can take Cam Hayward in this draft. Will Smith, you can. So he was a guy, was was he on the radar for anybody else? Will Smith, who I think was the 18th pick in 2004. Yeah, he was on my radar. And in fact, it was like a Will Smith, Cam Hayward thing, where because of the classification of how we're going about this, you have to lean Will Smith. While if we were just going about who was just a better player, I would have leaned Cam Hayward. But Will Smith, was that he was one of – two defensive ends who were still on my list of guys I would have considered. All right, uh, Stephen, who's another guy that you had on your list that you would consider drafting? So I, just to wrap up my defensive end talk, I had Eric Humaro on my list, 16th pick of the 1988 draft. And some of that is just for the sake of like, maybe I'll take him with my last pick just so we can get all the bosses in here. But uh, I mean, a quality football player who was also a first round draft pick who then produced two more first round draft picks to keep it in the family. But he was a quality player in his own right, 16th pick in the draft. I, in, in terms of most important Ohio State draft picks ever, he's in the top five. Tax. Because, <laughs> yeah. as people know, Eric Crumro's sister is Cheryl Crumro. Cheryl Crumro gets to Miami. Her brother's a first-round pick. There's a first another defensive end that the Miami Dolphins took the year before, whose name is John Bosa. Yep. Eric Crumro says, hey, this is my sister. And so... Eric Krumro's sister marries John Bosa. It's two first-round defensive ends, and then they are the parents of Joey and Nick Bosa. Mm-hmm. So, like all of that, if Eric Krumro, like that's you, you've got to make that connection somehow. Yep. So, I, I like the idea, Stephen, that like the uncle, you know, the uncle's been overshadowed at this point by his mm-hmm. nephews. I'm sure he's very happy for them, but you were willing to throw the uncle a bone here late in the draft, which is yeah. this is very kind-hearted of you. Yeah, if he's not as good as he is, the Ohio State doesn't have the run of defensive ends that it has. And that matters. Yeah. Nathan, who else were you thinking about? So we've already mentioned uh, Glenn and Galloway and some other conversations. The the linebacker that I mentioned that I thought was going to be maybe an interesting conversation in relation to A.J. Hawk was Ryan Shazier, who comes along a little bit later and is probably drafted at a time where – 
it's more reflective of how the NFL drafts linebackers to some extent now. So that maybe equates where they got drafted a little bit because he was more, I think, of what, middle of the first round, the year that he was, uh, the year that he mm-hmm. came out. Uh, Pick 15. 15. Pick 15. So 15 as opposed to five. That That is a gap. But um, the way that, and, and part of this is influenced just by the way that you, Doug, have talked about Ryan Shazier and, and what he was on a football field, because I didn't obviously get to watch him in his Ohio State prime and didn't get to watch him nearly enough in the NFL, obviously, for reasons out of his control. Um, would he be maybe the more prototypical draft prospect for the modern NFL at linebacker? Second linebacker taken in his draft. They list Khalil Mack as linebacker, but he's not. He's an edge. I had him 28th on my list. So Ryan Mm. Shazier. I had Will Smith 27th, Ryan Shazier 28th. So I do think he's right in this mix. Even though he's a mid-first round pick, I just think, you know, when you start stacking him up with other guys, he's in his own way. There's not a ton of guys like Ryan Shazier. So I I think that's a good guy to have here. I had Chris Gamble on my list. As a corner, I know, Stephen, you're talking about, like, where there are other corners to take. He's so athletic. He's so mm-hmm. skilled. And it's just like, would you just take that? I'm not saying that they're going to play him at receiver also. And, you know, obviously he was an actual first-round pick of the Carolina Panthers. He was the number 28 overall pick. So, you know, that's down the list. But if you figure it out, I mean, they just – who does what he does? It's it's insane. So – that's a little bit of a reach, but I had him on my list. And then I did have Terry Glenn 31st on my list. And then I want to save my guy who I had 32nd for a final conversation. Steven, who else was in your mix? So I have this guy on my list and I had him at 32 and I had a, what do, my whole, I literally, it says, what do we do with Hopalong Cassidy? Yeah. He's on my list. Heisman winner. You know, right back. Like, uh, and the answer is probably not draft him. Cause I don't know. <laughs> what are we supposed to do? It, it's well, listen, but it, it, it's I, like, you have to mention him in something like this. Cause it's like some version of that translates. I don't know if it's not a top 10 pick, but there's a version of what that was at that time period when the forward pass did not really exist. Can that be like the number 28 pick? It's interesting. And Nathan, you were thinking the same way, huh? He was number 32 on my list, although I knew we wouldn't get to 32 because there would be enough variance that I, I wouldn't get down to my, my 32nd guy. But um, also was a great defensive back because <laughs> they had to play both mm-hmm. ways back then. And I think I saw – I read somewhere he didn't allow a pass reception like throughout his career or something. Um, and who knows what that really means in that era of, of football. But, like, is he just such a such a pure football player? He's, he's, he's the um, – outer ring equivalent of some guys we've already talked about that are like, you know, yes, he's going to have to change positions or yes, this isn't like the perfect fit of a convention of what we think of at this position, but is he too talented of a football player to not get picked? Yeah, I think that's smart. You know, I don't think we have to apologize for not picking him, but I, I think it's a, it's a smart conversation to have and bring up and say like, sorry because but i think he also can have his heisman trophy and hope that that matters more than not getting picked uh in our draft even though he was the number three overall pick uh in his own draft and just the way we would apologize to jim mcdonald who was the number two overall pick in his own draft and did not get drafted here uh i think we ended up taking of the 38 guys 
who were top 10 picks of the 90 that went in the first round. I think we took 23 of the 38. So That's like we bad. didn't get to everybody, but you know, we're taking Justin Fields who was 11. We're taking Marshawn Lattimore who was 11. Like there's some guys who are just outside of that. So there's, there's one guy. Is there anybody else that you guys want to mention before I mention my last guy who I had at 32? I had um, also Malik Hooker on my list and a guy, he was the second safety taken in his draft, but because Jamal Adams mm-hmm. was in that class and, and everyone thought he was great. So if like if Jamal Adams is a year ahead or behind, then maybe Hooker is a top eight, top 10 pick, whatever in that draft. And, it, you know, safety again is not a position that people necessarily spend high draft capital on, but um, was obviously a, a significant talent coming out of Ohio State. Yeah, I viewed him and Whitner the same way, and I just went with the guy who was the eighth pick over the 15th pick. And I don't think that's the yeah. wrong way to view it. So then the last guy that I had 32 is Art Schleister. Mm. He was on my list, was too, the number number four overall pick in 1982, was a four-year starter at Ohio State. If you read the coverage from when he was drafted – the Baltimore Colts traded their current starting quarterback, Burt Jones, to get an extra first round pick to take him. It's a little bit like the CJ thing that the Colts wound up with the second pick and the fourth pick because they made a trade. And so they wound up taking Arch Schleister number four. After the fact, Ernie Acorsi, I was reading some because we'll do a 10 seconds here on Arch Schleister, but Ernie Acorsi, the, the Colts GM later on said the owner made the pick. And that Ernie Acorsi wouldn't have made that pick. And again, if you, Nathan, we want to do some alternate histories here. The guy I think who was more widely viewed as the likely pick at four was Jim McMahon, who wound up going five to the Bears. So imagine if Arch Schleister's the quarterback uh, with Walter Payton and that great defense with the Chicago Bears in 85. But of course he's not because he threw his life away with his gambling addiction. And so also... The Colts also took a, a guy in the fourth round in that same draft named Mike Pagel. And again, many years later, Ernie Acorsi, the GM, said that Mike Pagel beat out Arch Schleister on the first day of camp. So, like, that Arch Schleister, like, showed up out of shape. This is before the gambling addiction. So, I mean, the gambling addiction is in its full throes at this point, but it's not known. He only plays three games as a rookie. He's suspended for his entire second year because of his gambling addiction. But in the moment... As a prospect, Nathan, he is a four-year starter at Ohio State. He's 36-11-1 as a starter. He basically made Woody change his entire offense. He had interception problems at times, but he got better at that. Like, it is a – he's a passing quarterback at a non-passing program. He's sort of – you know, if we think it's one of those things, every now and then if you talk about how Urban revolutionized Ohio State recruiting, Coop will say, well, you know – I kind of did it too. And so if you try to say, hey, Ohio State never threw the ball before Ryan Day in this era, I think Arch Schleister could say, hey, well, you you know, I kind of – because I think there was some reporting. He maybe even thought about transferring late in his career because it's like, I want to go somewhere I can throw the ball. So his stats are limited, Nathan, but he's viewed as a big-time dude. And the Colts, again, said they took him because he was bigger than McMahon. Like he had the stature. He's a a classic pocket passer. He also could scoot a little bit, I think. So – I had Arch Schleister as a better draft prospect than Dwayne Haskins. I I don't think they're entirely dissimilar. One went four, one went 15. I don't think that's the end-all, be-all. Art's NFL career is nothing, and he's been in prison since then. And again, he's he's 
bamboozled people and taken their money and has spent a lifetime doing this. And anybody who doesn't know anything about this, if you Google Arch Schleister, a thousand things will come up about it. But it is funny to think, Nathan, of here it is, early 80s, so Ohio State quarterback is viewed that way. And so I did think if everything had fallen, I thought he would have been a decent guy to take as the 32nd pick. Did you think about Art at all? Well, like I said, he was on my list. I had forgotten. But yeah, he's he was on my list. And it's 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 tough, though, because I struggled with whether to put him on there because, yes, he had passing act, you know, had some passing numbers relative to what you would expect from maybe in Ohio State history. I think he also ended his four-year career with almost as many interceptions as touchdowns. So it's one of those mm-hmm. things where, like, when you start to translate him to the modern era, it would start to look very ordinary. It wouldn't stand out the way Stroud, Fields, Haskins, this next group has has stood out and, and just looked different because the game looks different. And Ohio State had to go through that transition. So he almost stands out to me as, like, would you remember when a guy could have, like, 40 touchdowns and 46 interceptions at Ohio State for his career? 50 and 46, I think and be the number four overall pick in the draft. Like, it, like that was what football was then. This is what football is now. It's like 50 touchdowns and six interceptions in a season. It's just we're, we're in a different world. Yeah, I think Jamison yeah. Winston's the only guy who's allowed to still get away with these. I'm going to have 30 touchdowns and 30 interceptions in a season. Yeah. <laughs> no, it, it, it really is a thing. But again, it's, it's almost like, I mean, to think that and again, I mean, he he's just incredibly – Arch Schleister's place in Ohio State, he throws the pick as a freshman that is intercepted by Charlie Bauman, which leads to Woody punching him, which leads to the end of Woody's career. Mm-hmm. They're undefeated in 79 with Art as the quarterback, and they go to the Rose Bowl and lose the Rose Bowl, right? Or otherwise, Arch Schleister would be a national champion. He finished in the top six of the Heisman voting three times. Three times. And when he finished that high as a sophomore, it was the highest that a sophomore had ever finished. So like for what, with all the, in all the ways he was held back by the Ohio State offense, in his time, he was still viewed as absolutely one of the best quarterbacks in college football by both people in college and people in the NFL. And it's so weird back then, the Colts came and worked him out the morning of the draft. And the draft was like in the morning. They came to Columbus, worked him out, and then picked him 90 minutes later. That's how things work back then. It's like, well, we could pick Jim McMahon, but he's in Utah, man. What if we get the BYU? We could just drive down I-70 and go work out this Ohio State guy. I'd take him. So anyway, that was the Ohio State uh, draft history of quarterback before Ryan Day got here. That is our ultimate Ohio State draft. I don't know what it was. I think it is fun to have a draft where you have a guy from the 60s right next to a guy from the 2000s right next to a guy from the 80s. But also it's a little weird and maybe we made you mad along the way because it is impossible to be right in something like this. But I I hope we weren't too far off and I hope there's not somebody that it's like, how dare you? How could you not take this guy? Again, to sort of like cover, you know, who, who we did and didn't pick I, I think we did a pretty good job. Like I think Chris Ward, Nathan, is a good example of a guy that we're not trying to pretend to be experts on Chris Ward, but we tried to tip our cap to the fact that he was the number four overall pick in his draft in the 70s. And so we took him, and I think we were right to do so. And so in the t- the guys who were top five picks, 
The only guys who weren't in our draft, Jim McDonald, who was the number two pick in 1938, was not drafted. Hop Cassidy, as we mentioned, was a number three overall pick, was not drafted. Arch Schleister was the number four overall pick, was not drafted. And then Bob Ferguson, bruising running back, was the number five overall pick. He was not drafted. Everybody else, the 19, there were 19 guys who were in the top 10. So we drafted all but four of them. So I think, Nathan, we want to give – I think we did give some appropriate nod to – listen, the NFL knows better than us. You know, if you're going in the top five, you probably would make it in the NFL these days. Yeah, I, or at least, again, it's all based on the evaluation at the time. There was something athletically about you that was jumping off the board to these teams, and whether that was 1982 or 2022, there are some common threads. Okay, so we did that. That's a thing that we did. I don't know what it means. We are planning to have some reaction from tech subscribers and to perhaps fold in um, some of their picks into a future pod. We'll let you guys know about that. It could be one coming up kind of soon because we do want to get like people's views on this, but it's also kind of homework and it's also kind of hard. So we'll see. For now, we appreciate you guys making us part of your Ohio State fandom for Stephen Means and Nathan Baird. I'm Doug Maurice, and that was Buckeye Talk.